Hey, before I get started, um, I just want to <clears throat> again remind you last week I talked about the two new classes we're going to be doing in the spring trimester for New Covenant University. We're going to be doing uh, some sozo basic training here on Tuesday nights. Again, it's every other week for six weeks. Uh, Michelle, my wife, and Connie Julson are going to be leading that. So I'm going to pass it's in this sign-up sheet. It's $10 a person. Um, and then the other class that we're going to be uh, hosting is Eric is going to be facilitating a, a class called People Helping People. And it's going to give you some real good nuts and bolts on what it means to be able to reach out and help somebody in an effective way um, while maintaining healthy boundaries and all that kind of good stuff. So I'm going to, I'm going to send both these uh, sign-up sheets. I'm going to start over here again. Go back, over, front, Sean, Alger. Gotcha. Back, over, Barb will be the last one to get it. So please sign up. Um, more than likely, you need it, especially you. You. Sign up. What? You just passed it off. Like, Really? Really? I'm going to make you so embarrassed right now. I know. That's the problem. It's no fun. She's like, talk about me. I don't care. All right, awesome. So please sign up, because we are supposed to be a people helping people. You know, uh, what, what did Bill come and say a couple weeks ago? He said, we're a consumer group of people. And you know what consumers are? They don't help anybody. They just keep getting. They just keep receiving, and they don't help anyone. And guess what? Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. Okay. That's you. Amen. It's your job. Amen. And that was free. All right. There you go. So, so here's my desire today is I want to follow up with last week's uh, message and expand upon um, the idea of how we need to grow up and become militant, right? Everybody who was here last week, yeah. raise your hand. Okay, so we are an army, are we not? And specifically, God said to us, become militant. Did he not? Yes? He said it. It is time, it is time, and it is time. And so last week, I really tried to help connect the dots to, uh, for us concerning um, the things the Lord is communicating to us. You know, beginning all the way back to what Denny Kramer uh, said back in June. And so... Um, I hope this week you did your homework and watched a good war movie. Did anybody see a good war movie? Braveheart was in the same day that I told you to go. It was on AMC or something. It was great. Um, yeah, so anyway, and I, I really want to appreciate Tisha Sledge. She went right on Facebook on our, our New Covenant group page, and she put a link on there for Rick Joyner's book. And a lot of you said, yeah, I'm going to get it. I got mine ordered, and wow, so so read that book, uh, The Final Quest by Rick Joyner, because, again, it's going to give you this, uh, this really spiritual perspective of, of what's going on in this war that's, that's going on for um, the souls of men. And so, you know, I think the first time I read that book, I, like, read it, like, from cover to cover in, like, four hours. I mean, I just, it was so powerful. But, but last week, um, you know, I'm sure I probably stepped on some toes, um, you know, feeling the conviction of needing to repent of staying immature. I mean, that hurts. It's me coming up and doing one of these, you know. Well, this week, um, I'm probably going to crush your foot. 
your whole foot, you know? So I'm sorry, but this might hurt a little bit. Um, but I want to I wanna provide some context of why I'm okay with that, okay? <laughs> Not because I'm just Tom and you all think I'm a mean and hurtful person, but there's a scriptural uh, foundation, I think. Um, you know, some things I believe, I really, I believe that some things have to be broken or specifically rebroken um, in order for them to work correctly. For instance, I have a, I have a relative who, um, when he was a child, before uh, we were required to wear seatbelts, um, you know, he was cruising around in his car with his family, and the brakes got hit hard, and uh, he went flying into the dashboard and um, cracked his nose as a kid. Now, what happened was he never had it properly fixed, okay? And so he has lived his whole life with a crooked-looking nose and only one nostril that worked. And it's caused him to have sleep apnea. So, so here in the recent past, he just had a surgery to correct that problem, right? And guess what they had to do to fix his crooked nose? Probably more likely they took a chisel and just pop. Good stuff right there. That's right, he broke it. And you know what's worse? He paid someone to do that to him. (laughs) Paid someone to break his nose, file it down, and then reset it in the correct place. I mean, why would someone do that? Well, because it's worth the momentary, temporary pain to have his nose rebroke so he could have a healthier lifestyle. You know, and the same thing applies, I think, to broken arms and legs. You know, sometimes even birth defects are corrected by breaking a bone and resetting it so they grow the proper way. And so as people go and, and they pay doctors to perform these surgeries, you know, we never once think um, about how mean the doctor is, right? Oh, you're so cruel. We don't think those thoughts, do we? We don't think how ruthless the doctor is. In fact, when all goes well, we thank him for the service. <laughs> Thanks, doc. You did a great job. My nose looks wonderful. Especially if they saved a life. So sometimes God has to reset things in order for them to work properly. And, and, you know, Job really understood this in chapter 5, verse 18. He says this, he goes, For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. And it's a similar sentiment is in Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, but He will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage us. And so I, I think sometimes we don't have a good context when we read these scriptures that don't seem like, oh, that's a mean God. And that's not mean when there's something wrong that needs fixed, is there? So today I'm going to step on your toes. I may crush a few feet, but I want to have a little fun. Is everybody okay with fun? 
All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to perform some reverse psychology on you. Okay? Okay? So, so, so here's what I want to do. I want to talk about five things, and I probably won't get all five today for sure, um, but I want to talk about five things that will help keep yourself in a perpetual state of spiritual infancy. That's where you laugh. I'm going to give you five ways so you will stay a spiritual baby all the time. Wait, well, I didn't. You're right, reverse psychology. What's reverse psychology? You tell your kid, I don't want you to go clean up your room. What do they do? Well, I'm going to go clean my room. So I'm going to tell you how you can stay a baby forever. You never have to grow up. Okay? If you will be faithful to do these five things, you will never grow up into the fullness of Christ. You will never have to experience the spiritual endorphin rush that comes when you're doing the will of God. Don't have to worry about it. Never have to worry about feeling his pleasure. It's all that stuff. You just, if you'll do these things, your desert slash wilderness vacation will never end. I mean, who wants the burden of being the head when you could be the tail, right? I mean, that seems like the fun part of the dog anyway, you know, always wagging and, you know, not a care in the world, just following the head wherever it goes. I mean, isn't that the fun part, right? And besides, blessing, it's probably really overrated. I mean, survival is where it's at. It's just surviving. And when it comes to leaving a legacy for generations, you know, it's just, it's too much work to be faithful and have self-control and all those things that required on a daily basis to ensure that, you know, our children are going to have it better than us. It's just hard work. But fear not, I have the answers. I know the way. You see, this is a very broad path. <laughs> and, and there's plenty of room for all of us. So look at your neighbor and say, grow up. Look at your neighbor and say, grow up. Okay, now look at your other neighbor and tell that person how much it hurt your feelings when the other one said, grow up. Oh, you guys are rough. Well, I'm doing my message whether you like it or not. So you're stuck here until you walk out on me at 12, whatever. So here we go. You ready? This is where you start writing stuff down. Now, these aren't any special order. I've list, uh, I'm just making a list of these things. But, but I think these first two things, they could probably be together as one. But I'm going to separate them just for some emphasis. In fact, probably all of the principles that I'm going to share are really related um, to this first principle. So, so here we go. So the first way, the first principle to guarantee a lifetime of spiritual infancy. Here it is. Write it down. Abuse grace. It's coming. This train is bound for glory. This train. Sean's already leaving. Oh. Dude, you were making me have fear there. Was... So the first thing to stay a spiritual baby for the rest of your life is abuse grace. Okay? Now, listen. In, in, in the life of every new believer, there is this period of time when we become 
acclimated to our new life in God, okay? And, and as we learn and unlearn habits and behaviors, and we make lots of mistakes and along the way. And as a new Christian or even a baby Christian, this is absolutely to be expected. Babies make messes. They make mistakes. They're figuring things out. Everyone starts his or her life in God as a spiritual infant. We all start there. And grace is this really beautiful gift from God. I mean, it's, it's the unmerited. You didn't have to do anything. It's the undeserved, unmerited favor and kindness of God on anyone who will accept Jesus as their Lord. And one of the beautiful facets of grace is it never stops working. It's always working all the time. God's grace is God's grace working in us. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't do anything. Jesus did all of the work on the cross for grace. All we have to do is receive it. In fact, Romans 5, verse 1, it says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we rejoice in this hope of glory of God. Now, here in the book of Romans, Paul is really, he just speaks so eloquently about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us that where sin abounds, where, where there's a lot of sin happening and going on, he said grace is even more bigger, better abounding. So we can never, ever run out of grace. But see, there's another side to this coin. There is this thing that Paul tells us as, as he's extolling the, the glory of God's grace. He realized that there would be some among us who, because of their immaturity, would abuse this grace. Um, in the book, Speechless, it was written by Stephen Curtis and Scotty Smith. Um, there's a chapter on grace in there. And they outline four types of abused grace. And so I'm going to give them to you if you want to write these down. Number one, they call greasy grace. Greasy grace, you know, like your pots and pans are greasy. Greasy grace. Now, here's what greasy grace is. It is the freedom to not take God seriously. Greasy grace creates this, this idea, this feeling that it's okay. I don't really have to take God that seriously. And sometimes Christians use grace as an excuse not to obey God. In fact, these Bible scholars who use grace as an excuse to not obey God love to quote, um, the last part of Romans 
It says, because you are not under law, but you're under grace. I'm not under the law. Don't put me under the law. I'm under grace. Well, while these sentiments are really true, um, they're seldom applied correctly. See, living by grace and being obedient are not the same thing. They're not synonymous. They're not, if I'm in grace, then I'm automatically an obedient person. God's grace is supposed to give us a new motivation and power to obey Him. We are called to the obedience of the faith and love. That's greasy grace. The next one is called sleazy grace. Sleazy grace. Now, what this is, um, is a perversion of grace, which is one of really the oldest abuses of grace. Because what it does is it turns grace into a license to indulge in anything I desire. You see, those who practice sleazy grace distort the idea of what God's grace is really about. And they end up making it utterly meaningless. And, and Paul, he really anticipated this distortion. He knew it was coming. I mean, he, he understood the power of this message of grace, but he got the other side of the coin, and he knew what was going to happen. And he says in Romans 6, uh, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace will increase? By no means. We died to sin. Say that. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Then he says in verse 15, he says, what then? Because, you know, he's, he really wants to make sure we get this point. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Abuse sleazy grace. You'll stay a baby forever. The next one is called cheesy grace. And a cheesy grace is the warm, fuzzy grace. It is, um, this is when we equate God's Grace with some kind of emotional sloppiness. In fact, that's where we get the term sloppy agape, right? Everybody ever heard that? So, cheesy grace is, is, is where God's grace becomes a synonym for a nice, indifferent God who wouldn't think of allowing anyone to go to hell. You see, in this version of grace, um, this one is really preferred by those who have a Gumby God, okay? And a Gumby God is a God that can be shaped into any form we desire. You see, cheesy grace is, is what is really at the heart of 
um, universalism, okay? And, and universalism is a belief that all of humanity will ultimately one day be reconciled to God. That, that basically all paths lead to God. And this is a huge thing that is being put on us to be politically correct. In the name of tolerance. All roads lead to God. You call him Jesus, they call him Muhammad, we call him Buddha. It doesn't matter, it's all the same guy. All roads lead to heaven. That's universalism, that's cheesy grace. And if you want to stay young forever, keep practicing cheesy grace. And here's the final one. Measly grace. And what measly grace says, it says that my hard work is going to lead to my ultimate salvation. I hope. If I work hard enough, God will love me and I'll make it. And this popular corruption reduces God's grace to really, it's just an act of his kind assistance in helping me earn my own salvation. You see, measly grace is expressed through the unbiblical notion that grace is just for sinners, but, but saints have to work for it. And you may think, well, I don't believe that. We don't talk. You're right. But you know what? There are a lot of people who live that. There are a lot of churches that live that way. And so in this popular heresy, it assumes that, that really the main thing a non-Christian needs is the gospel of God's grace. But the main thing a Christian needs is to keep working harder. You know, we, we, we can come. It, it's, I don't understand this. this is, it's like, ugh. When we, when we come to the Lord the first time, and we give our heart to him. It's like we have all this faith that he knows what to do with all the sin that we've ever committed. He, he knows how to cleanse it, remove it, and fix it. But then it's like something happens after we get saved. We, we suddenly feel like we start acting and behaving like God doesn't know what to do with how you fail anymore. Well, because I know better, right? Right? So I just got to work hard at this. I got to keep, I got to earn it. I got to keep, make sure it's going to stick with me. That's measly grace. And those who practice measly grace burn out. They just, they just quit trying to be a Christian. Because they realize I can't do it. So why am I going to try? So if we will just keep it up in the area of abusing grace... Remember, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. <laughs> so everyone say, grow up. grow up. All right, now for those who didn't follow my instructions, I want you to say, goo goo gaga. <laughs> and then make a stinky in your pants. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, we'll wait. <laughs> Babies are always the center of attention. We'll wait. As soon as you have your stinky, raise your hand and one, someone from the nursery will come and quickly clean you up. No? Okay. All right. 
Well, let's move on to um, the next pre- uh, principle of perpetual childishness. So, um, the next way in which we can stay um, spiritually on the baby bottle, here it is, is by practicing little sins. Now, what do I mean by little sins? Well, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, it says, If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. Now, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't pray about that, or he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. So, so what we can see in this passage is that some sins are more destructive immediately than others. There are some sins that we can engage in that will immediately start to, to tear our life apart. And those are your typically what we consider the big sins, you know? You start smoking meth, guess what? You are quickly, quickly going to experience destruction. You start having adulterous affairs, your life will quickly come to destruction. So we all know what those great big ones are, right? And we, we all do our best to stay away from the big ones. You know, it's like murder or robbing a bank or rape or, you know, blaspheming God. So we, we know what those are and we, oh, I would never do that. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. So we really try to not practice those life-destroying sins. But what happens is we... We, we do practice um, the habitual abuse of what we think are the smaller sins. You know, the sins that we think, the grace that we've been abusing is taken care of. So what are those sins? What are the sins that we callously disregard and no longer even believe that they're sins anymore? Well, thanks to the Apostle Paul, he, has, uh, he likes to make lists. And so uh, in case we ever forget, you know, what the deeds of the flesh are, he, he put them out there for us. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Everybody say obvious. obvious. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to read this again, but this time I'm going to read it in the Message Bible, okay? Do you guys have the Message Bible version? You may or may not. Anyway, here it is. I love it. It's just, it's just great. Verse 19. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. 
I may repeat this whole thing one more time because it's, here it is. It is obvious, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. And here it is. This is the obvious. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. This one, oh, I, I just, I love it. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into your rival. In other words, you're in competition all the time. Every person that does anything that you think's great, why did they get to do that? Why are they doing that? Why did she get that opportunity? Why did they get recognized? No one sees me. Everyone comes a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you. You know. And if you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's heavy. That is some heavy stuff. I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because it gives us a promise of how to stay spiritual infant. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, Paul says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly mere infants in Christ I gave you milk not solid food for you are not ready for it indeed you are still not ready you are still worldly for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you are you not acting like mere men? So here's Paul. He's sealing the deal for us. He tells us that as long as we, we practice even the little sins, sins like jealousy and, and arguing, he said, if we, will, if we will just do these little things, 
over and over, we can be forever young. Forever young. So I tell you, keep pressing into jealousy. Keep talking about other people who hurt you behind their back. Keep doing it. Hold on to your grudges. Hold on to those offenses and misunderstandings. Hold on. And by all means, wrap yourself up in a blanket of spirit of rejection. Just wrap it like a blankie around you. Because you know, insecurity, it's just love dressed in a child's clothing. Well, I'm going to stop right here. Because we have a lot to work on. And you know what? I know this wasn't your happy-go-lucky whatever, but I don't care. I really don't care. I've been doing this for 15 years, and I haven't won any popularity contest yet. So I might as well just keep going for God. Because you know what I said to you today? All I told you was in the Bible. If you feel bad, then go deal with God on that. But, but here's the thing. It's time to grow up. And this is the stuff that keeps you from, from doing that. Practice this stuff and you will never reach destiny. Okay? And we got some more to talk about because there's some really big ones out there that we think, not a big deal. Not a big deal. They're big deals. So let's stand up and we'll pray for us. And when we're done praying, I have the altar team come up. And if you want some prayer, they will definitely uh, bless you. But mostly, I, I hope it's just a, a heart of repentance that touches you right now. That's it. I just, I pray right now. In fact, let's just pray. Let's just go to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus. I just, I ask, Lord, for a spirit of repentance to be on my life. God, I ask you to forgive me for my jealousies. I ask you to forgive me for my callous words. I ask you to forgive me, God. For carrying my heart in all the wrong. Forgive me, God, for abusing grace. I renounce greasy grace. Just say that. Say, I renounce greasy grace. I renounce sleazy grace. I renounce cheesy grace. And I renounce measly grace in the name of Jesus. And I confess that true grace that comes from heaven will work in my life and I will cooperate with it. I will not abuse it. I will treat it 
like a precious gift from God. In Jesus' name. Now I'm just going to ask you right now with your eyes closed to just ask the Lord, is there a sin, God? Is there something that I've been practicing? Is there something that I've been engaged in that I felt wasn't such a big deal, but you want me to deal with it today? Just be quiet. Ask him that in your heart. Father, you are faithful and you are good. And I know there are some who you've already spoken to, Lord. And I pray, God, for a spirit of repentance to fall on their hearts. It's time to grow up, God. Help us. Help us, God. It is time to get off the bottle. So today, God, I pray for us. I just plead the blood over their hearts and minds for those who may try to get taken away by the enemy through guilt. That God, that they would just deal with what you're showing them the right way. Repentance forgiveness, restored fellowship, God. So help us today, Lord. We seek your face right now. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our midst. We're grateful, God, that you are here, that you are alive and present. We thank you for that, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Altar team will be here if you need prayer. If God showed you something that you need to deal with him, feel free to just come to the altar and do business with him. God bless you.